0: Hey guys, it's Buck. Now this podcast is very timely because I uh, woke up this morning in Santa Barbara. You know, I live in a beach house. I go out to the deck and there's a bunch of ashes on uh, the deck. How crazy is that? I'm talking about like smoke ashes. And you know what else happens? My, my fire alarm goes off. There's not a fire in the house, but there's smoke just in the environment that makes the fire alarm go off in the house. So. What am I going to do? We are driving north, man, and this is uh, this is exactly the kind of stuff that Chris Martinson talks about, so definitely listen to him. Hey, another thing, on Thursday of uh, this week, uh, which is the 14th of December at uh, 3.30 Pacific Time, 5.30 Central, there is a uh, webinar called Velocity Plus, a new weapon for high-paid professionals. This is something you're not going to want to miss. It's my newest finding. It is something that has been available for ultra-wealthy individuals for years, but only now is opening up to high-paid professionals. And it's going to absolutely blow your mind. If you liked Wealth Formula Banking, you're going to love this. So check it out. Um, We're going to put an icon on wealthformula.com for Velocity Plus Plus. And click on that, uh, register for the webinar. Even if you can't make it, there'll be a replay in it and you'll get your hands on it if you actually register. Make sure to do that. And really, this is for anybody who makes $100,000 plus. So it's not for just the ultra wealthy. But, you know, even if you don't make that much, check it out because, you know, knowledge is a power in this financial game. All right, take care. Again, go to wealthformula.com and click on Velocity Plus Webinar. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. Uh, I'd like to start, as I always do, directing your attention to WealthFormula.com because when you listen to this podcast, you're only getting a part of all of the resources available for your financial education needs. And uh, so certainly go there. In fact, you can also still get a free copy of my book, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth, which is an Amazon number one bestseller. And you can buy on Amazon or you can just go to wealthformula.com and pick that up for free. You could also just text me. If you don't get to a computer, 44222 and type wealth formula, one word, 44222, wealth formula. And if you do that, you will get a free copy of the PDF version of the book. Now, as for today's show, let me start out by saying that I, I cannot tell a lie. Um, you know, despite the fact that I am a libertarian and people who seem to run in circles, run in the circles that I run in, uh, you know, some of them are pretty depressing, right? I mean, uh, there's a lot of doom and gloom around, and you know, you go some of these events, and you just, you know, you, you just feel like a, uh, we're pretty much screwed. I mean, we're we're the U.S. is screwed, the world's screwed, and we just, you know, we should just move somewhere else and you know, hide in a cave or something like that. You know what? I don't believe actually that we're screwed. That's the thing. So I'm a little different. I'm a little different in this crew. I actually believe that the United States is not screwed. Uh, And that, you know, if you're a citizen of the United States, that you should not necessarily be preparing for Armageddon. I do believe uh, that it's unnecessary at this time for you to buy a wheelbarrow to carry your cash to the supermarket, uh, you know, in in case you need to buy a loaf of bread in hyperinflation. I don't think that that's going to happen. So I don't think you need to buy that wheelbarrow. I don't myself own any army fatigues. Or hide out in the mountains. I don't think they'd like me there either. No, overall, you know what? I'm a pretty optimistic guy about the world and our future and our country. And I'm a student of history. And what what history tells me is that we as humans are actually pretty good at adapting. And pretty good at solving the problems of our day. You know, you don't have to go back much farther. Then 1798, with a guy by the name of Thomas Malthus, who famously predicted that human population growth, because things were moving pretty quickly for for what they were used to, would soon outpace the world's food supply and push us back into darker times, you know, where you just tried to try to just give bare bones uh, substance. Guess what? It didn't happen. Instead, we just invented some better farming equipment. Technology, technology always seems to move quicker than we think it will. I mean, look around you, for better or for worse. What you see around you technologically right now is going to be likely, a lot of it's going to be obsolete in 20 years. So, you know, this reminds me of uh, being in London with my family uh, a few years back, and my oldest daughter was she was only like four years old at the time, and a smart kid, you know. And and we were just walking down the street in London, and we saw of all things, we saw a phone booth. And she was like, "Daddy, what's that?" And I'm thinking to myself, "Oh my gosh, she doesn't she doesn't know what a phone booth is. This is crazy." And I grew up with phone booths my whole life. My dad was even thinking about investing. Luckily, he didn't do that. Now, listen, I'm not saying that we are not going to experience some tough times. I'm sure we will. I think we are in a time in history when there will be some dramatic shifts in the world, in the economy. And, you know, this will result in some fairly dramatic things, you know, some shifts in the world as we know it. So things won't look the same. Money may not look the same, but I think we will land on our feet. And I have no doubt, no doubt that the United States of America will continue to be the envy of the world until the day I die. And for this reason, you know, I'm not like some of the other folks around me and and who, you know, who I follow, who you probably follow. I mean, I, I don't think I really need another Passport why? Because, you know, if the U.S. is going down, I don't think there will be any other place to hide. I mean, I know people feel otherwise, but I'm not one of them. I just think, you know what, this is a this is a pretty good place, and maybe it's because I am, you know, the son of immigrants, you know, who my father, who barely had enough to eat, came to this country in the late 1960s because he's a smart guy, came on a engineering scholarship turned around uh, and became a real estate millionaire. That couldn't really happen anywhere else in the world. So you know what? I don't prescribe to what a lot of people do in this country right now in in my circles, which is apocalyptic beliefs about what's going to happen in our country. You know, on the other hand, like a fellow Minnesotan once said, Back in nineteen sixty four, the times they are a changing and to not recognize that and not be ready to adapt is not very smart either. I mean, you gotta you gotta actually, you know, you gotta learn the technology. You gotta know what's happening around you. It it doesn't mean that things aren't changing. It, It just means that I think you're gonna have the ability to protect yourself and um and and thrive in the future. You know, for me, the biggest concern when I think about what's happening with the future right now, for me, is it's, it's climate change. Now, I'm not gonna get political here. You know, I don't pretend to know the the causes all. I mean, I do think they're man made, and I, I don't pretend to know the solution though. I mean, Alex Epstein came on uh, a couple weeks ago uh, on my show, and, and it was a very you know informative show, and he told us a little about the moral case for fossil fuels and i don't know if he's right or wrong i mean it's an argument but it doesn't change the fact that you know and i don't think alex was alluding to anything other than this that weather is getting funky right it's getting funky we can agree on that right can't we i mean that was a lot of hurricanes this year wasn't it now, if you don't believe something's going on when you look at last year, I mean, how many thousand-year storms do you need to have in one year to convince you otherwise? Listen, I'm hoping we figure this one out, and maybe we will. I mean, in fact, I saw something pretty cool on TV the other day. It was like how, you know, they were talking about how volcanoes, when they there's big volcanoes, they shoot up a bunch of sulfur dioxide into the air. And when that happens there is like this reversal of, of uh you know global warming and uh, for a period of time, I think it was like Mount St. Helens or something like that. I don't know. But but the idea came up that maybe, you know, maybe we could have the same effect by just having a bunch of planes go up and, and release uh sulfur dioxide into the uh into the environment, into the air. And, you know, that might have the same benefit. And boom, all of a sudden you, you've solved global warming. I wouldn't be surprised if there was something like that, honestly. That's just, that's the way we are. That is the way we are. We are resilient. Human beings are. Peter Diamandis, um, who is uh, uh, in, a, in a group with me, uh, who I, I think is fantastic. He wrote this book called Abundance. Uh, you know, this guy is a great example. Um, the work he does where he basically you know he's trying to solve the world's big problems you know when it comes to shortages of things they're even talking about mining for things that we need on earth on other planets why not other planets asteroids you know talk about talk about investing in mining companies that's kind of crazy right but listen in the meantime we've got a new reality on our hands um with this weather thing you know weather is really unpredictable and um and looking at all these things that happened this year made me realize that that survival strategies aren't just for people wearing camouflage anymore. They really should be for, for everyone. I mean, look at, and we, you know, we can adapt, but we also have to be smart. I mean, look at what happened in Puerto Rico. No electricity for how long? Look at Houston. You don't have to even leave the, the, uh, the, the, the sh- you know, you don't have to go. Out of the continental U.S. to realize that. And I, there's this crazy uh, New Yorker article about, um, you know, if you don't know about this, Google this. Go to, go to Google and put uh, earthquake and then put New Yorker article and then put like Pacific Northwest. Basically this huge, uh, you know, earthquake that has like a one in five op- chance of destroying the Pacific Northwest in uh in the next 50 years. I mean, wow, that's kind of crazy, right? Uh, why, I I'm going to probably decline any invitations to Seattle in the near future. But anyway, it, what if you spent, you know, a little time now and coming up with a strategy for food reserves or what about medication? Maybe, you know, maybe you're a diabetic or an asthmatic. What would happen to you if you weren't able to get your medication for a month or two? I mean, for some people, that is a major problem. How about you? I'm, I've been an asthmatic since I was a kid and I carry around inhalers and I was thinking to myself, you know, what would happen if I, you know, couldn't get an, an inhaler for a couple months and all of a sudden there was things that were aggravating my asthma? that'd be bad. Anyway, what we've seen, uh, happen in some of these areas with big weather-related catastrophes, etc., makes, um, uh, makes this all really real, doesn't it? I mean, it makes it real for me. I mean, despite the fact that, again, I'm not a prepper. Anyway, that's, that's why I asked Chris Martinson to come back on Wealth Formula Podcast this week. Now, Chris has been on the show before. He is, uh, uh, his website is peakprosperity.com. Very smart guy, and there's no question about that. I mean, he backs up everything he says with a tremendous amount of financial and scientific data. And, you know, he's, uh, he's I think he's, uh, he's definitely on the more, um, you know, he's more, a lot more concerned and uh, has a greater sense of urgency than I do about things in general. But, you know, it is, you know, you've got to get these opinions from everybody. And given the flux of the global economy and and geopolitical changes, um, you know, everything that's happened this past year, what's happening uh, with the weather, I couldn't think of a better person to speak to us as we approach the new year. So if you want to be prepared for all the changes that are happening in the world today, stay tuned as uh, when we come back. We'll talk to Chris Martinson of Peak Prosperity. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax free at a compounding rate with no volatility, it protects your money from creditors and lawsuits and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest is Chris Martinson. He's been on the show before. Uh, He is a Duke and Cornell-educated economic researcher, futurist, He specializes in energy and resource depletion, and he's the co-founder of PeakProsperity.com. Now, Chris uh, is probably best known for this seminal video seminar, The Crash Course, which was also published uh, in book form in 2011, which I'm sure uh, many of you have read. The Crash Course, of course, is a distillation of the interconnected uh, forces in the economy, energy, and the environment that are shaping the future. Chris, welcome back to the show.
1: Hey, it's a real pleasure to be back here with you and all your listeners today.
0: Yeah, it was uh, it was great to see you in New Orleans. Um, we had you in the show back in May, and at that time we talked, we spent a lot of time talking about the idea of you know uh, peak oil and, and the notion of resilience, and I want to get back to some of that again, but first... You know we've got a lot going on in the world right now. Um, you know whether it's China's new role in the in the global economy, uh, you know their announcement that their their intention was to be a superpower, their alliance with Saudi Arabia. You know you've got cryptocurrencies, all this. You know as an economic researcher, how are you viewing a lot of these geopolitical changes that are occurring in the world right now, and what do you think the hot spots are to be to be paying? Most of our attention to,
1: well, that's an easy one to answer because, you know, my view is that everything is connected to everything. You have you can't just study any one thing in isolation. And and a, a fairly substantial report that I just put out, uh, part public, part for my subscribers, was around uh, what's just happening in Saudi Arabia. Now, you know, I'm sure your listeners are aware. There's a bit of a purge going on. Saudi Arabia is a a kingdom with 4,000 princes, and 15,000 royal members. And and so it's a little bit of the Corleone's, you know, runs into a, a giant pile of money. Uh, so, yeah. so you have a lot of complexity around that. But the key elements are these. Uh, the United States really angered Saudi Arabia on a number of fronts, uh, notably threatening to release, uh, Congress was threatening to release a 28-page report fingering Saudi involvement in 9-11. They've been holding on to that. And and so, so that was uh, President Obama tried to Patch that over back in 2016. I think he failed because the next thing we saw was an official visit by Saudi Arabian royalty, huge, huge entourage. Uh, they brought six six of their own Rolls Royces with them, 150 cooks, and you know thousands of people, and they struck these huge deals with Beijing, uh, really big. Everything, you know, IT, energy, of course, healthcare, you name it. And then it was October of this year that uh, they went to Moscow for the first time in all of history and struck a deal not a deal same sort of broad sweeping deals with russia notably including for the s-400 uh, anti-aircraft missile system which means russia uh, clearly has a, a a new rapprochement with saudi arabia so this is a giant pivot towards yeah. china towards russia and if you don't understand what's happening in the oil markets forget the headlines you know saudi arabia you know of america with our shale stuff if you don't know what's happening in the international markets particularly with China, this looks puzzling, but once you get it, it's not puzzling.
0: So let's let's take a step back and put this into context because you bring up a lot of points and I think it it's worth probably reviewing some of the the issues that are around that. Of course, you, you mentioned um first the military protection uh that, that this alliance potentially gives Saudi Arabia uh with Russia. So the in the context of the historical context here uh, we're talking about, you know, essentially, was it 1972, 73? This was after uh, after Nixon took the uh, United States off the gold standard and the dollar went into free fall. And then over a period of time, in a, in a nutshell, what happened was the, uh, there was a deal struck between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia and effectively, the deal was this, that the U.S. would provide military protection uh, to Saudi Arabia in exchange for oil only being traded in dollars. So effectively, that made it so that the U.S. obviously was no longer on the gold standard, but they were on, I guess, sort of a more of an oil standard, right? And it made it the reserve currency and created an artificial demand for the US dollar and that became the petrodollar, correct? Is, is that, am I getting the history right? I'm kind of going off the cuff here, Chris.
1: <laughs> well, that's exactly right. I'll just, you know, tighten up a couple of dates. Yeah. It was 1971 when Nixon slammed the gold window. Then we had the Yom Kippur War in 1973 and the oil embargo from, from the Arab countries uh, right around then. And it was 1974. When Saudi Arabia came over and inked that deal you're talking about, which was yes, military protection in return, but they were selling oil to the United States, but everybody else in dollars. And here's the key part: those dollars never left America. Right? Uh, they 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 got recycled here. They went into Treasury bonds. Uh, Bloomberg did a FOIA request and 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 found the substance of that deal, and and the Treasury Department kept that secret for 41 years um, that that this was happening and. And everybody knew it. But I mean, you know, finally got revealed. That's what's ending right now. That regime of that dollar standard, the petrodollar standard, it doesn't unravel all at once, but it's ending. And that's big news.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In fact, isn't there? So. So, yeah. So there's two parts of that. There's you know, if you look at that arrangement. So now Saudi Arabia has got this you know, military protection deal going with uh, Russia. Well, they don't need the U.S. Mil- military protection anymore then, right? And then and then, from the standpoint of the petrodollar, they have an arrangement, not only, I guess, with Russia, but there, isn't there also something with China, the China-based, uh, the yuan-based, um, uh, you know, I think there was uh, futures, oil futures?
1: Yeah, so this is probably the biggest unreported or underreported news in the United States, maybe the Western world is that uh, two things. First, China opened an oil trading bourse. They have futures where you can trade oil but not in dollars. They're trading them in yuan. And then they link that to the idea that if you're an exporting nation, an oil exporting nation, and you have too many yuan, you know, China sells a lot of stuff, but let's say you have more of their currency than you want. Hey, feel free to wander over to the Shanghai Gold Exchange, flip those yuan into gold and repatriate or take that gold away. That's the first opening of China's capital markets, very closed, very hard to do direct investment. They don't have government bonds you can buy. So if you're an oil exporter, what do you do? And so China opened that up. And it's worth noting here, Buck, that that every single country that has attempted to do that same thing of trading oil substantially in something other than dollars has been attacked or, or fallen under stiff sanctions by the United States without fail. Uh, China's, China's the first one coming forward or with this killed. and it's a big deal <laughs> right? or killed, yes, right? Exactly. So you've got Saddam Straight
0: Hussein up. in Iraq who, who is trying to, uh, to, to sell oil in euros. You had Gaddafi who was trying to do it in some sort of, you know, African-based currency, right? And Iran. And Iran, right. Right. But of course, China's kind of, uh, you know, an elephant in there. You can't exactly, you can't actually, you know, stiff, uh, you, you, you can't push around China. That's the problem.
1: No, and here's why it's such a big deal. China is by far the number one importer of oil, overtook the United States two years ago, never looked back. The United States, of course, producing more on its own, not consuming all that much. China's consumption's also increasing. So China's importing a little over 8 million barrels a day, going to 9 million barrels a day next year in 2018, and the United States going the other direction. So this is the world's number one importer. That's part one. Part two of this is, just two months ago, the Beijing Petroleum Institute, it's a, it's a university, uh, state-sponsored, and, and they ran a state-funded uh, study where they asked the question, hey, what's our domestic oil production going to look like? And they came right out. They just have scientists working there and petroleum engineers, and they came up with this report, released it, and said China is going to peak in oil production in 2018. Looks irreversible. That's both conventional and unconventional, which would be you know the deep water and the tar sands if they had any, or shale oil and stuff like that. So this is big news for a country of their stature to say, hey, we're at peak oil. What are we going to do about this? They cast forward the amount of oil they need to import over between here and 2030, and they are looking at moving from not just the number one importer, but potentially under some scenarios to the country that wants to, needs to import as much as half of all the available oil that will be available for export in the world that's not going to happen without a giant price explosion or some sort of a conflict
0: yeah yeah so what's um what's what's interesting uh, about a lot of this of course to us is where does that leave the US right i mean we're talking about mm-hmm. effectively if i'm you know if i'm interpreting this right the end of the petrodollar So the end of potentially the end of the U.S. dollar as the uh, is the world's reserve currency. Is that right?
1: Well, yes. And that's already happened a little. I think we went from a high of maybe 73 or 74 percent of all reserve dollars held. And that's eroding. We're down in the 60s now. So it doesn't go away all at once. But I think this puts a little bit of soap on the slope. Right. This is going to make it happen a little faster. And it could happen a lot faster depending on how certain things transpire. So um, one of the big deals here is that uh, about $7 U.S. dollars are held by these petroleum exporters. And they've accumulated almost all of those since the year 2000. So uh, this is going to be something where if they suddenly decide they don't want to hold these anymore, well, what happens? Hey, they sell them into the international market. They take something else in possession maybe a different currency, or maybe gold, or maybe, uh, you know, some other real estate, something. But dollars begin to lose their value under that scenario, and that's the concern.
0: Yeah, and, you know, the other thing is, uh, I mean, I I guess the confusing thing to me here is that, as you mentioned, you know, Saudi Saudi Arabia has, you know, for, what, 40 years, been dumping, or not dumping, they've been buying U.S. treasuries. They, I mean, they Probably probably the largest holder of U.S. treasuries, right? And so it's probably not in their best interest either to watch us go into a big financial tailspin, is it?
1: Oh, no. It's absolutely in nobody's interest. China holds a lot of our treasuries as well. But but the treasuries are just the things that we have to report on. They have to be tracked. The Treasury Department doesn't have an option when they issue a bond, a treasury bond bill or note. It has a CUSIP number, and it belongs to somebody, and they have to track it. So um so we at least know what Saudi Arabia is holding in terms of those what we don't know is the extent to which they're holding corporate assets real estate um other equities and things like that but the estimates are fairly high it might be as as much as 6 or 7% of 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 the total value of all outstanding US equities it's a really large number um and so 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 that's part of the context which is why buck it's so Interesting to have watched Saudi Arabia go through this big power struggle, basically, you know, night of the sharp knives, and also pivot so strongly towards China, towards uh, Russia at this particular point in time. Those are really seminal developments in geopolitics. And of course, there's rumors out that Saudi Arabia has also been in dis- in discussions with Israel. So this is all kind of boiling. And, and where I'm going with this is that uh, when you have a big moment like this, this Saudi Arabia, particularly uh, Mohammed bin Sultan, Salman sitting there as the 32-year-old heir apparent to this whole thing, driving a lot of these actions. He's been a real hawk on Iran. Uh, we know that Israel's been really um, you know, against Iran for a long time. And, and so this – it feels like we have to watch carefully, but if this does turn into a wider Middle East conflict – and the Strait of Hormuz gets impacted in some way, and that oil stops flowing. That's 40% of all exported oil in the world comes through that little narrow channel. If that happens, and it lasts for more than a month or two, we would predict very, very high oil prices, and we would predict massive financial instability in markets that are not geared for such an event.
0: Yeah, yeah. So when you look at this, I mean, the the I guess the conclusion that um, that I would have uh from this from the just from the perspective of what to do as an investor or somebody with money uh that you want to protect is to assume that you've you're going to have some significant acceleration in uh in inflation is that fair
1: yeah but we're we're really talking about um, just cost push price inflation so if the price of oil goes up prices go up that's not the inflation that the central banks, you know, are crying about not having. They want wage-price inflation. They want to shove money into the markets and money into the system, and then they want that to create general rising um, wage and price spiral. They're not getting it. So, it, so the worst kind of inflation you can get is to get where you do just have this cost-push inflation, oil spikes, everything sort of spikes in sympathy, including food, fuel, you know, and and heat and all the basics of life. And then people just find it hard to to get by because you know they have higher expenses and and their wages haven't gone up without so, so that's economic
0: not, growth and so it's yeah stag- stagflation. that's
1: the stagflation yeah. that's what we had in the seventies it, it's really painful
0: yeah and is that what you're anticipating I mean what I mean what well, is that what your that's what your concern is at this point
1: yeah that that would be the concern the the larger concern is that in two thousand seven we had about one hundred and forty five trillion in debt worldwide. And then um, 2008 comes along, and we got to 147 dollars a barrel of oil. To me, that yes, we had a housing bubble that burst. But to me, the another pin in that bubble was Greece not being able to afford the oil it had to import. Uh, it really hit the marginal players. You, you saw communities like Homestead, Florida, which is a what you know 90 minute commute um, to to Miami, uh, not be able to afford that commute anymore because that's how far out people had to move to be able to afford housing. All of a sudden, they couldn't afford the commute that went with the housing. And and so we saw a lot of difficulty directly come at the edges, at the margins, at the peripheral players when oil went up in price. Well, fast forward, we probably have $250 trillion in debt worldwide. The leverage is extraordinary. If oil spiked again, we would see 2008 again, but I think harder. Uh, this time for, for those peripheral players because the debt's so much higher. Yeah. Look where student debt is, you know, look at right. where sovereign debt is, corporate debt. It's just, it's just amazing.
0: So if you're, if you are a high-paid professional, you know, say you're a doctor, a lawyer, whatever, you're making two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars 300000 a year. Uh, maybe you've got a million dollars in your IRA. You You know, you've got a home that, you know, you've got a mortgage on, you've got some equity in it. But what do you do? How do you, I mean, if you're, I'm not, uh, not, not financial advice, but let's say, let's put Chris Martinson in those shoes. How do you, knowing what you know, how do you start preparing for some of the down, potential downside of, of all this geopolitical stuff?
1: Well, step one for me is, is build your cash reserves. You know, that's a great time to be building cash at this point in time. So, you know, to the extent you're not going to, you know, take the, uh, 10 X more expensive vacation than, than you should. Don't. Um, But, you know, just just watch that. And then this is a time I'm actively building my buy list. So there are a lot of oil assets out there that I'm really interested or derivatives thereof that I'm really interested in owning, but not quite yet, because I don't think we've had the shakeout that, that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. quite yet yeah um, but I want to know who's who and by the way this is no longer buying the oil sector or anything like that um, local mileage varies in this story there are certain highly leveraged companies with rapidly depleting assets I'm not interested in them yeah but the companies that have kept a clean balance sheet uh, that are still managing you know they've, they've got and this is the critical part I'm specifically looking for companies with positive free cash flows yeah right whether and it doesn't matter whether you're in the corporate real estate business or you're in the residential real estate business or the oil business if you are consistently hemorrhaging cash doing what you do there's something wrong with your model and that's been true in the shale business every year i've looked at it whether oil is 100 a barrel or whether it's 40 a barrel so there's there but there's great assets in there it just takes a little more um sifting to get through them i think there's a better price coming to buy them
0: that's all great advice. I mean, one one question I want to ask you about, one more economic question I want to ask you before we move on uh, to another topic. I, you know, as an economic researcher, I'm very curious what your take is on cryptocurrency and how that's going to affect our economy. I mean, obviously, the governments are governments are starting to take notice. This is real. You've got you know, major brokerages, brokerage houses that are starting to pivot into this because they recognize it's real. The Chicago, uh, I think in Chicago, um, uh, the they started. Uh, I, I think they're going to do some futures <laughs> contracts on Bitcoin. I mean, this is you know, this is becoming something that people aren't ignoring anymore. How do you think this impacts things?
1: Well, this is a huge area of discussion and. I'm a huge fan of of what the distributed technologies can do. Because that's really, when we say Bitcoin, we're not talking a store of value. We're talking a blockchain technology that allows distributed transactions that's great there's blockchains that allow distributed file storage and sharing there's other ones that allow um distributed uh, development of software and delivery of software so so each of those is amazing you know my view is that we're still kind of in the VHS Betamax you know to date myself we're we're at this key point where the technology clearly has potential but we don't know you know who's going to win yet and just like you know was it VHS or Betamax the answer was Neither it was DVDs. And then it turned out it was neither. It was streaming technology by Netflix. So um, so how this de- this is going to be very fast developing. And so I think at this point, if people want to sort of speculatively have a little in there, uh, that makes sense. I- I'm very concerned looking at the at the charts of Bitcoin price, um, clearly parabolic and more concerning. I know people who've thrown quite a lot into it, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, being really thinking of this as more of an investment than a speculation at this point. Yeah. That, that's kind of where I fall. So I'm still watching. Um, and, and it's, you know, the the thing to realize about Bitcoin is that I believe about 80% of the float is owned by about 4% of the participants.
0: Yeah. So it's mostly like love. some 16-year-old kids who bought it <laughs> Yeah so was like a, 20 a, years ago we were sitting on like 30 million 40 million dollars of bitcoin.
1: Exactly <laughs> if they didn't throw their computer out that is oh yeah no so so it's just you know there's a lot of people chasing a very small amount of product so so the price moves the whips that you know the, the parabolic nature of it doesn't surprise me yeah. yeah, we you know if you look over this, the transom to what's really happening, we know that the Federal Reserve is busy developing a Fed coin. We know that Russia's already got theirs in place. We know that China's already working on theirs. So, when the governments come forward, you know we should remember what happens when governments feel like they're losing control, particularly of money. They always do the same thing. Yep. They're going to gain control of that somehow. Yeah, so yeah. I think right. people should just be aware of that as a as a possible risk factor here.
0: It's a really fascinating thing to me because you know Bitcoin and not, not just Bitcoin, but like you said, I mean cryptocurrency in general, distributed ledgers. Not a, not even just blockchain. You know, because blockchain is just one type of distributed ledger. Um, all of this is a uh, really comes at this. Uh, confluence of of libertarians and computer geeks, which I think is an incredibly powerful <laughs> group mm-hmm. of people when you compare when you put those together but um what I'm most fascinated by right now is what's going to happen you know from the side of the governments because the crypto people of course, they don't think that the governments can stop it they just don't think it's possible so um, and and to to a certain extent, you know, uh, if that's the case, then, you know, it's one of those things, like you said, you know, if you can't beat them, join them, see what's going to happen. Um, so yeah, cool stuff. Let me, let me switch gears because, you know, one of the things that you, um, you know, you, you talk about a lot, uh, with the crash course, et cetera, is, is effectively sort of a, you know, how to prepare in the event, you know, in the event of, um, I guess some sort of cataclysmic event, right? We're, financial or, or whatever, uh, and, and how do you survive that, and, and how do you build resilience, you know, how do you create these types of capital, whether it's financial, health, social, etc., and and one of the reasons I reached out to you, I reached out to you recently, was because of all these natural disasters we've been having. I mean, and of course, you, your focus has been on financial and energy, energy depletion and those kinds of disasters. But there's an increasing number of natural disasters these days. I mean, if you look at Puerto Rico uh, more recently recently. Um and that what you guys are talking about is really really uh relevant for this. Can you talk a little bit about that and some of the things maybe that are going on in your community, what you've seen et cetera from 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 these disasters
1: well sure i I'd love to you know I think Puerto Rico's closing in on sixty days without power in some parts um and it's certainly anything but But over, even though it slipped a little from the news cycle for most people, trust me, if you're there on your 60th day without power, it's it's a very uh, ever present thing going on. And so what these events, these these natural disasters, whether it's Harvey or Irma or or, you know, the um, Maria that hit Puerto Rico, they just tend to sharpen our focus and say, oh, yeah, yeah, these kinds of things can happen. And what we talk about in our second book, which is prosper. And when I say we, Adam Taggart and I, my my co-founder of Peak Prosperity. We wrote this other book, which is if the crash course is is um, problem definition, like oh oh here's some changes coming. Prosper is the solution space because knowing stuff might happen and not doing anything that just creates anxiety. That's no good. So so what are things that you can do to prepare for say a natural disaster or a human made one uh, that would you know make your life richer and more fulfilled and full of more purpose today? regardless of which future comes, you know, that's really the, the point of, of prosper. And right. and so, you know, I think that these, these natural disasters we've seen are just the beginning at this point in time. There are other ones people aren't aware of, but that, that I know some people, they look at it and they go, oh, is that a thing? But, you know, phytoplankton is down 40% in the last 40 years. Uh-huh. Insect populations are crashing all over the Northern Hemisphere, down 80% in Germany over the last 25 years. Here's a prediction is a guy from the biology side of things. If you lose the insects and you destabilize your ecosystem, we can't predict what will happen next. But I guarantee it will be a very different sort of a future. You know, maybe right. fungus starts taking over. We don't know why. And then later we figure out the, the complex web of life that, that caused it to remain in check before. And yeah. now we can't grow crops properly or whatever. We don't know. But the pace of change we're seeing, I'm not talking about future disasters that might come. They're here. Right. Mm -hmm. But economically, we can have the same mindset, which is I just read today that if you live in Charlotte, North Carolina, this family's earning one hundred thousand dollars a year. Their health insurance premiums went from nine hundred a month to three thousand a month. They're earning one hundred thousand a year and they're expected to pay thirty six thousand dollars for their health insurance. That's a disaster right here and right now. Right. Right. So. These forces are all sort of coming along, and, and they're they're kind of hard to make sense of until you begin to stitch the pieces together. And, and what I want to do, my life works right now is around helping people get prepared for those moments before they happen so that they can dodge them hopefully or, um, if necessary, absorb them without falling to pieces, without them cr- being crushed by the experience, all of that. So emotional resilience, financial resilience, physical resilience – all good things to work on uh, beforehand. And, and by the way, you know, people come to my house, they will see a beautiful place, very well, you know, kept up, a nice garden, a nice orchard. You know, I got little bees, chickens, all this stuff. I like to do that kind of stuff. But but, you know, if you came here, you wouldn't get the sense that I'm. Hunkering down, waiting for something bad to happen. So you're, I not, sleep we're, really you're not well. wearing I'm camouflage. I'm a happy guy.
0: <laughs> you're not wearing camouflage, and um, <laughs> 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 you know, like you answer the answer the door with a few guns in your hand and that kind of thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nope,
1: okay. nope. And I sleep really well at night. And it's it's it's. And you know, we have a big community potluck that happens here once a month. It's you know, we have a real. It's, it's very social and, and open and all of that. But it's it's these are all things that I can do to, that bring me happiness today. And resilience for tomorrow uh, as well. And so and so, you know, I can't figure out why wouldn't you do these things? And if the people in Puerto Rico had taken our advice and bought at least, you know, a water filter, they have a very different sort of a a future in front of them if they can filter their own water out of even a puddle in the front. Rather than um, risk disease and uh, and something worse if, if they got contaminated water, very simple things can be done.
0: Yeah, you know it. Uh, and that's kind of what I was uh, I was really interested too because you know um, you're you know the things that you're talking about. I, I like the fact that you point out that you're you know when a lot of times when you start talking about these types of things, people immediately start thinking about the um, quote unquote preppers, right? I mean that they, they, they're waiting for a disaster and so make it makes it seem like these these people are a little bit paranoid or whatever. But really what you're really talking about, I think, is, yeah, you know, these things could happen. But the nice thing is that if you just start, you know, improving your different parts of your life and, you know, making yourself more resilient, it actually is a very enjoyable way to live. Right. I mean, that's that's uh, that's kind of what your approach is.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, the uh, social capital very important. We think that not just how many people, but how well you know them, obviously a, a strong predictor of of happiness and meaning in in anybody's life. Um, it is something that that you know we're active proponents of, not not that sort of bunker mentality. You know, go over there and hide out. Um, but we believe in living capital. So you know, whatever your motivation is to get in shape, well, turns out some of the people who see the world way, the way I do say, wow, it it makes even more sense um, to be in shape, you know, and, um, and there are a lot of things that we can do to begin to recover our own, our own personal health, because I got to tell you, I just got back from Germany. Um, not, not, no obese people over there are very, very few. Um, and, and they just live in a very different way and and their food is um, clearly a lot healthier for them. So in the United States, there's a little bit of, um, of um uh, what we call re-education, of, of like sort of pulling pull, you know, revealing the cover and saying, look, people, we're not we're not doing it the best compared to anybody else in the world. There's things to learn at all moments in time from different cultures, from different people, from different ways of doing things. And you just look at the opioid epidemic raging here, and you can say, We're not a happy camp set of happy campers. So what can we do to to increase our own sense of well-being? And my litmus test is very simple. Like if I'm trying to decide if I'm going to do something or not, here's the questions I ask. I ask myself, is this going to make me feel more connected and alive? Because if so, I'll do it. If not, I'm not going to do it. So so it's it's, you know, really, this is a, a period of time where, yeah, we want people to be prepared. Yes, we would love for people to avoid some um, future trouble that might come. But really, you can take care of that stuff pretty quickly. Matter of weeks, few thousand bucks, you can feel a lot better.
0: You, you want to give what? an example of maybe kind of uh, you know some of these things that uh, you guys do, and maybe how how it might have helped some of the people that were in maybe Houston or uh, you know some some of the other areas where that got hit. I mean, did you, did you have members of your group that that you got feedback from?
1: Absolutely. So we had a number of people uh, directly there, and um, uh, one of them uh he, you know he he's been following for a while a um, fairly wealthy guy and and he'd uh, put a, a variety of of stores up so as soon as the the power went out and and they couldn't get to food stores and whatnot, they had all the food they needed they were able to share it with neighbors but he'd also thought or, thought a bit and said you know getting around might be hard under certain scenarios so he'd bought himself a dirt bike you know and mm-hmm. uh it turned out his son was was basically trapped on the other side of Houston by circumstance. And, you know, it, um, and he needed to get to, to go get him. He got on his dirt bike, was able to get there. It was a, it was a messy wet ride, but, but he was able to, to move around and, and, um, and, uh, uh do what he needed to do. And people had worked out and thought through communications, um, or, you know, we're big fans of, of new technologies that will enable your um, cell phones to talk to each other without a cell tower, um, and things like that. So, so there are, there are lots of ways that people had thought through sort of the basics of food and um shelter, and some people had battery backups that were able to give them uh you know hot water and showers when other people were out things things like that so it really depends on how far somebody's willing to go but again we we picked up one lesson from one person who was as prepared as they could be, whose house ended up getting under eight or nine feet of water, and the lesson there was no matter how well you prepare, sometimes it just goes pear shaped on you. Yeah. Um, you know, so so in my own uh you know, checklist now, I have to say, no more hundred year flood floodplains, maybe not even five hundred year floodplains, you know, <laughs> unless you've got a house on stilts. Like you really gotta think that through now because we're having crazy weather now. Yeah. This happens a lot.
0: Yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty ridiculous. And again, this is to me again why this is particularly relevant. Really, should be relevant to everybody because what we're seeing, again, I'm not, I'm not talking about even the, you know, the potential economic and geopolitical things that are going on. I'm just talking about people in Houston or people in Puerto Rico. I mean, what if you were. You know what if you uh you were a diabetic in Puerto Rico, and all of a sudden you ran out of insulin i mean this you could die from things that have nothing to do with the actual natural disaster just because you take them for granted that you just don't think that you could not have electricity or not have a pharmacy around for just a you know a month i mean it's it's really remarkable right I mean. So this is the type of stuff that you guys obviously, obviously address. Now, do you have uh, some, uh, some, you know, for people who are saying, you know, obviously they can get really involved with your community, but what if they want to do the bare minimum and have like emergency kits, et cetera, do you have anything pre-packaged or anything like that, that you guys, you know, advocate or, or, you know, put together or anything like that?
1: We have something called our "What Should I Do" guide. So, if you went to peakprosperity.com/wsid for "What Should I Do," uh, you will get to a. We have a, a nine-step thing in there, which which will take you through the basics of water, food, um, emergency kit, stuff like that. And we have links to things if you wanted to investigate those links that go out to various suppliers, or or we tell you you know where you might um, you know look on your own. So, so that's just sort of a really basic sort of a thing that, that, listen, anybody who lives in an earthquake fault zone where tornadoes might hit or where hurricanes apply, uh, you should be doing this anyway, right? Yeah. And and we, we know, for instance, the number of people on the Cascadia subduction zone or on the San Andreas Fault who are prepared is less than 3%, um, you know, with, with even just a 48-hour, um, you know, emergency kit, which might cost you 75 bucks, right? Um, yeah. Put it, you know— buy it, you put it in your closet. And then, you know, what we advocate Buck is that, is that if you haven't done that, it's back there in your brainstem, just sort of, you know, scratching at you, maybe not, not too urgently, but it's there and you can relieve it and not at least have that in your life. Uh, you know, by just taking the simple step, spend 75, a hundred, 200 bucks, if you want to go wild and get yourself, you know, a, a kit that would be invaluable, you know, yeah. Not if, but when the next earthquake comes, if you live in one of those zones, it, it would just make all the sense. And, um, you know, our, our, our last big lesson is uh, my co-partner in all this, Adam Taggart. I live in Massachusetts. He lives in Sebastopol, California. Next town over is Santa Rosa, which just burned down. Right. So he knows lots of people who were directly affected by that, who lost homes, who were woken up by urgent pounding at one thirty in the morning saying, you've got five minutes, you got to go. And uh, a lot of those people reported no planning. They didn't have a go bag. They lost valuable possessions because they just hadn't taken literally the hour to think it through and say, hmm, if I did have to go, what would I bring with me? How much would fit in the car? What do I do?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and and so that just a little preparation goes a long way in this story.
0: This is uh, this is uh, kind of scary stuff, but you got to hear it. And And, you know, by the way, you mentioned that whole Cascadia thing. It's amazing how many people don't know about this is a fault line in the Pacific Northwest. The last earthquake there was in 1700, basically wiped out the entire Pacific Northwest, the entire people that were on Vancouver Island. You know, every fault line has a cap, right? But Cascadia has a cap like over nine point something. Um, And they think the earthquake is overdue. And there's a 20 percent chance of this massive earthquake in the Pacific Northwest on this fault line in the next 50 years that would estimated kill an estimated 13,000 people. Just unbelievable. how few people even know about that. <laughs> so, yep. so, so anyway, yeah. listen, um, you know, this has been fantastic. Now tell me you also have a communities too. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Uh Well, you know, we, we try and get people to connect with each other around these things um, Yeah,
0: because listen,
1: this is not about being in isolation with us and it's not even be- about being in fear around it Honestly, it's just being a prudent adult and so it's it's you know, our metaphor for, for this is Listen, I buy I have how ha- I carry fire insurance on my house not because I'm hoping it's gonna happen Right um, and not because it's likely but because if it does it's so catastrophic, you know, we want to have some insurance so so, so we we would like to do is get prudent adults together who are capable of looking at this and talking about it. No, oh, by the way, this is if you belong to the National Guard or or to the, um, you know, to the uh, community emergency response teams or 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 to any sort of government planning agency, this is what you do. Or if yeah. you're in a, you know, if you're do disaster preparedness for a, a corporation, people think this stuff through. For some reason, it's a little socially awkward for us to do that individually. I don't know why, but we do it professionally and organizationally yep. all the time. So we're just saying, hey, maybe you know, if it's not happening for you, otherwise, you need to do this. It's it's you know, you're the one that's responsible for this, and you're the one who's going to be um, you know, full of regret if if the you know, if the big one lets go and you, you didn't do you know, minimal preparation. So yeah, quite easy to do. Can you find people around that? So we have groups. That um, are organized geographically, so say Vancouver might be a group, uh, or it could be uh, across what we call horizontal. So for people who are interested just in, say, um, you know, safety or just interested in chickens or whatever, the, you know, a sort of a, an organizing principle or gardening, um, people are interested there and they form groups that way as well. So. Uh, again, it's just a free service. And there's throughout, like the, country, Chris, they're, they're
0: throughout the, country. the country, Chris? All over the country, okay. yeah.
1: Yeah. Actually, you know, there's, they're around the world, too.
0: Got it. Very cool. And again, so everything we need to know, everything we can find, uh, we can locate at peakprosperity.com. Is that right?
1: That's absolutely right, yeah. And we've got wikis on there, you know, so that we, you know, capture the, the information once. So if you want to know how to go about doing home energy, um, you know, the, the big wiki there, very nice. And, got uh, groups, um, and a lot of all the articles and of course the crash course and video form. housed there. So yeah, most of our, about 90% of what we produce is, is free in the public domain. And there's a lot of information there.
0: This has been fantastic. And I, I do appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, uh, thank you very much. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure and we will be right back. these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. I hope you enjoyed that show uh, with Chris Martinson. He is a very eloquent, very smart guy, right? The call to action to me from this week is very clear, Right. Do yourself a favor. Think about this stuff. Go to peakprosperity.com and do a little planning. Again, you know, you don't have to be a prepper. You don't have to believe the world's going to hell in a handbasket. You know, just understand that this kind of stuff that happened in Puerto Rico, happened in Houston, could happen in in Pacific Northwest. I mean, all this stuff is real and it might make sense to make a little bit of preparation and maybe go to the pharmacy and get a few extra inhalers or insulin or whatever that is the plan of action this week go to peakprosperity.com and come up with some plans for what to do in the event of something bad to protect you and your family because i can't afford to lose any listeners by the way that's the other call to action this week the listeners listenership is growing. Uh, this is uh, picking up steam, and if you like the show, make sure that you tell your friends and family about it. Subscribe to the show and go to iTunes and give me a five star review because that's how it the show moves up in the rankings on iTunes. More people discover it, and uh, and we we continue to grow the show's brand. Get continue to get great content. Get great guests like Chris Martinson. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.